I love how you started your way in the industry, you know, getting your internship with the Wu. Talk a little bit about that and how you persevered and, and managed. So I had a number of internships yeah. when I was in college. I went to the Career Resource Center at Wesleyan University. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out what do I want to do, what looks interesting. Because I had no idea when I graduated what was going to happen. I wanted to be a photographer. I thought I would be writing books. That was the plan. And so when I went to the Career Resource Center, I started looking things up, and I saw an internship at TVT Records. So I ended up interning at this label called TVT. It stands for TV Tunes. They did a lot of the music licensing for cartoons on TV. So... That's a pretty profitable business. Mm -hmm. And they had an artist, Mike Geronimo. Who else did they have? I think Ja Rule at one point was signed there too. And so that was my first job working at a label. And I remember it was an internship where we didn't get paid anything. And it was like 10 of us when we first started. And by the end of it, I was the only one still left. Just because I have such a sense of duty and responsibility, I always had that. So if I say I'm going to do something, even if it's not fun or I don't like it, I always feel like I have to see it through, even if I'm, I'm just not a person that would just give up. So that was my first internship, and then I interned at MTV, and after that I interned at Wu-Tang Management in Staten Island, and that was because a friend of mine had recommended that I go work there for his friend who was looking for an intern, and I didn't really want to do it at first. I was like, those guys are wild, they're crazy, I'm nervous, but... It wasn't anything like that when I went there. They're very, like, family-oriented, make you feel comfortable. They definitely protected me. I felt like... That's dope. Yeah, I felt like a little princess. They wouldn't let anybody talk to me crazy. My boss, Divine, he was, like, you know, super respectful. And they gave me a lot of authority to do things and a lot of power. So I was in charge of, like, payroll. And then they gave me a lot of responsibility. I was the person that was always the first one there and the last one to leave. So that internship turned into my first job after college. So after that, you kind of parlayed it into a couple other things. You were a freelance marketing agent, mm -hmm. and that was an interesting story. So you had two jobs um, <laughs> at that point in time, and your worth work ethic kind of proceeds itself all the time, and you mm -hmm. put in that work. So you weren't making enough money at your regular job, so you said, I got to hustle a little bit. You know, I think... We sometimes hesitate to ask for more money and we just accept whatever is given to us. And even with my first job out of college, I remember negotiating my salary but not really realizing that's what I was doing because I had an opportunity to take this job at Wu-Tang. And it was funny, when I graduated and I went by there, I just stopped by after I was leaving an interview at Columbia Records. I was like, let me stop by. Wu-Tang and, and say hi to the guys since I'm in the city mm -hmm. and they were like oh my god we were looking for you we wanted to hire you and so they did make me an offer and then I told them that I got offered more for another position somewhere but I wanted this job so I would rather be here and they actually gave me I think seven thousand dollars more than what they had offered me just because I said that and so that was my first ever salary that I negotiated I think I lied too when yeah. I, I don't think they did offer me <laughs> more money. But I just said it because they offered me such a low amount. Sorry, I never told anybody. I think I just had, I was like, there's no way I can survive on what they offered me. So I did end up getting more. And then I even got them to give me a little bonus before I started working so I could get my own apartment. It's all about that bag. It's all about I made that it bag. happen. And it was fair, I believe. And so after that, I did um, stay there for a couple of years. And then I ended up leaving for a job to make more money. In retrospect, I should have tried to negotiate 
my salary, mm-hmm. but I was like, more money here, here I go. You see, so there's valleys and there's peaks, and mm-hmm. one of the valleys we were talking about pre-interview was when you got laid off for yes. one of your jobs, <laughs> and that kind of turned into what you're doing now in the, in the long term. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. That was a tough time for me because that's when I was working for M&M's clothing line, Shady Limited, it was called, it had just launched. I started off freelancing, so I was freelancing at numerous places. I was working for Nile Rogers for his distribution label, and I was also working at a couple of different clothing lines. This one company called Shot Brothers, they made like the leather jackets. Another clothing line that was called Varsity, and I ended up freelancing for M&M's clothing line when they launched it. I saw Paul Rosenberg. I was at Dave Chappelle. It was the first episode of The Chappelle Show. It was the premiere screening. And I was at the screening because Jizza had done the first episode. And I was also working with him still from Wu-Tang. So Paul was sitting right next to us. And he was like, oh, I've been wanting to talk to you. I'm starting a clothing line. And we really want you to come and, and work with us. I was like, OK. I called him the next day and had a, a job. And it was just a, for me, it started off just as a position that was a freelance position. But then they did offer me a full-time position at the apparel company that was distributing the clothing line. So that's how that happened. And I made sure I called Paul first and was like, look, they want me to come work full-time. He thought that was great. So he was like, yes, please go for it. Do what you have to do. That would be great to have you in-house. But things didn't work out because I think the apparel company and on M&M side of thing, they weren't seeing eye to eye. I think what they wanted was to really blow the company up off the strength of M&M's name and like have his face plastered over everything. And it was always a struggle. Like he didn't want the huge logos mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they wanted like huge logos, M&M's face on the hang tag. And they weren't with that. They wanted it to be more classy and like subtle. And so that was where it was just bumping heads. So I did end up getting laid off and I remember I was like, man, now what am I going to do? So I took a little time to let that unemployment kick in because you pay for that mm-hmm. anyway. So I was like, let me get some unemployment because that was the first time I hadn't worked ever. You know, I had worked all through college, worked after college. And I was like, I've never taken a break to sit back and think, what do I want to do? A lot of times I was just doing things that were coming to me instead of pursuing it. And it was just happening. So I said, let me take some time to figure it out. And I remember looking online at job openings. I was on um, Hot Jobs or something. And hot Jobs? <laughs> yeah, you remember that? I, I <laughs> it was don't. like Yahoo it's Hot like Jobs. The, it's like Indeed. I don't know what that oh, okay. is. I haven't looked for a job in a while. <laughs> I but I remember looking at that just to look at job listings and opportunities and like maybe I'll be a video game tester. I was looking at all these different things that you could do that I never thought of. And then I saw an opening for marketing at Sirius Satellite Radio. So I called up one of my friends who still was working for Eminem. Her name is Tracy. And I was like, look, I really want to work at Sirius doing marketing. So she said, call Paul and tell him and he could put in the word for you. So I called Paul and I was like, listen, and Paul is Eminem's manager and partner. And he's the president of Def Jam now. And I said, Paul, can you put in a good word for me? I just want to get an interview. I didn't expect him to get me the job. I just said, just put in a good word. So. He, he was like, well, would you want to be on the morning show? Because we're starting a morning show, and we really need a sidekick, and we wanted a woman for that position. So I said, okay, I'll try it. And he was sure to tell me it was just an audition. So it wasn't like you have the job, but he said, I can definitely set it up for them. I can't guarantee they'll hire you, but at least they'll see you. 
So up until this point, there was no background in radio. This wasn't a passion of yours. You no. wanted to be a photographer. It's just that your relationships were so strong, and you never really had a mentor up until that point. You right. just kept the bridges in which you crossed so strong and sturdy, it, it uh, transformed into what you're doing now. How was that your first time on the radio? It was awful, and oddly enough, like the week that we started was, the week that I started and I was filling in, no one gave me any instruction. They just threw me in there, and I didn't know what was going on. I remember the show starts at 8 in the morning, and I got there like super early, like 7 a.m., and no one was there, and I was just like waiting because I couldn't even get in because <laughs> everything was locked, and no people just didn't show up until like five minutes until before the show started. So I'm there early waiting to get in, like nervous, like I don't know what to do. This Where is am the I interview. Going? No, this is when I started, okay, like okay. in the audition period. The interview was like, what experience do you have in radio? And I just was like, none. And they were like, okay. But they didn't have a choice but to let me at least try it. So mm -hmm. I don't think they knew what would happen. So I remember coming in and they're like, who's this girl? What's she doing here? Like no one gave anybody a heads up. It was just very awkward. I didn't have any direction. And it was also the week that Old Dirty Bastard had passed away. Yeah. And so, you know, I was really close with them and that had happened. And I remember that when I started that week, you know, the guys obviously weren't speaking at all, but Jizza did call in and just gave some thoughts on, you know, Dirty and everything. And I remember everybody from all the other stations up there were like, oh, can you get him on the phone for us? And I was like, no. You know, it's family. It's a, yeah, it's a sensitive thing. And I, I, I don't even know, I can't even believe that I even asked him to do that. But I guess I was just young and like not really that experienced in it. And so he did do it though. And it was nice. Like it was... It was a beautiful thing, but it was a tough time for everybody. But that was the week that I started, that that happened. And then um, I remember it was still a probationary period, which means I wasn't getting paid, but I was still coming in every day like I worked there. And people call in live, like they don't censor anything. And people will call in and be like, who's that girl? She's terrible. She's whack. She sucks. Get her out of there. And I remember just being like, oh, my God, I am terrible and whack, though. And so I just had to get better, but I just didn't have anybody telling me what to do. So I ended up listening to myself on, I had CDs of the show and I would get in my car and listen to it and be like, oh, this sounds awful. And just try to coach myself and try to get better. But the way to get better at radio is really just to keep on doing it. And so the more you do it, you'll get better and get more comfortable. So at first I just wasn't comfortable. I wasn't even comfortable with the news stories because I wasn't knowledgeable about current events to feel comfortable enough to speak on them and I couldn't pronounce things right. It was just a lot. So we live in such a, a microwavable culture now mm -hmm. where nothing I say this all the time, nothing's put in the oven. So it took you time to get good. Yes. And we live in a culture <laughs> where everything's on social media and if you're bad at the beginning, That's you over. suck, you suck, you mm -hmm. suck. But back when you started you were able to develop and grow. What were the benefits to coming up in the time you did? Uh, well, first of all, that station was so new, I don't think that a lot of people even had Sirius or knew about the station yet. So that was helpful, too. And, you know, and I always say this, too, that it was just fortunate for me. I didn't tell anybody I was doing it when mm -hmm. I was on this probationary period, A, because it sounded whack, and B, because I didn't know if I was going to get hired. So I didn't want to tell people I'm here and I'm really not and I'm just temporary. So people were finding out. And because I had the marketing background, a lot of people came up there and knew me already. So they were familiar with me. They met me before. A lot of people from New York already knew me from behind the scenes. So it was different for them. And 
there was no way I, I would have survived, I think, if people were weighing in on social media and saying how bad I was or if somebody posted a clip of me, that would have been awful for me at that time just because it was pretty bad. I still have the CDs of like my first shows and everything at home. What was the moment where you said, I can do this, I got it? It was, I mean, they said it because we had an interview with Jay-Z and the interview with Jay-Z went so well. And like I said, I started like the, the week of Thanksgiving and then I remember it was Chinese New Year. <laughs> so it had to be like the end of January or the beginning of February. And I just remember that because we were talking about that it was the year of the rooster and in the interview. And Jay-Z, I saw him when I was going into the bathroom and he was coming out. And he was like, what are you doing here? And I said, we're about to interview you. He had just became president of Def Jam and he okay. had a young Chris with him and Memphis Bleak. And we went in there, did the interview. And it was such a good interview that I got hired as soon as I walked out. They were like, okay, you're hired. And that's how I ended up getting the job. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. What were the steps after that that kind of brought you to where you are today? You know, you're at the head of culture. Oh, man. I mean, I think that was a good experience for me because I was working with Cypher Sounds. Mm -hmm. And his aspirations were never really just to stay there. So he kind of let me have a lot of control over the different segments. Like I had a segment called Don't Quit Your Day Job that I made up that was for unsigned artists. And people always bring up Drake was on that before mm -hmm. he was signed. And so that audio, you could still hear it. But a lot of people did that segment. Machine Gun Kelly, he always remembers that he was on Don't Now you're Quit really your good job. at that type of stuff because you were writing um, skits on albums at one point. Oh yeah, I did for Jizza. <laughs> that was know. his idea for to like put these little skits on the album. But yeah, I mean, I think, um, Back then, what I did was I wanted people to submit music and then we would pick people who we thought this person could be something and then let people call in and say what they thought. Yeah. And so people would call in and I remember somebody said Drake sounded like Bow Wow. Like all the phone calls are hilarious when you look back and listen to it. And at that time, you know, people knew him from Degrassi. So people were calling in and talking about that. But it was before he had signed. He had the song with Trey Songs, and that was pretty much it. Okay. So... Um, I think it's interesting because there's a lot of other artists that were on there that ended up becoming, you know, signed artists after the fact. So it's interesting to me. And I do like, you know, being one of the first to put people up on things or being early on in somebody's career. I always think that's an interesting story for later. So you've always found a way to transition to the next thing seamlessly. What was the opportunity like getting the opportunity to work with The Breakfast Club, and <laughs> when did you realize that you guys are out of here? Because I remember the Ray J, when Ray J called up, yeah. and I was like, this is gold. This you is know, forever. that's a funny story too, but I left Sirius because I had other opportunities. I got offered a morning show in Philly. I got an offer in Atlanta, and I was leaving a meeting with the people from Philly, mm -hmm. and I was walking to my car, and that's when they called me from New York to do the morning show in New York, but they couldn't give me a date. They couldn't tell me what show it was gonna be. I just had to turn down the Philly offer, which was a hard decision to make because it was more than what I was making at Sirius. And I had been at Sirius for six years, so I knew I wanted to leave. And so it was me turning down that job to hope that I would get this opportunity in New York because it wasn't a solid offer. It wasn't happening right away, but I also couldn't get into a contract somewhere else. So it was kind of like, man, I hope this works out. <laughs> so I had to turn down that job in Philly and wait for the job in New York to happen. 
And when we first started, it was messy. We didn't have good ratings, and there were all kinds of issues. We, we did a lot of things that were viral moments for us back then. Like we would do all these little fun skits and put them online just to get some awareness up. And then the Ray J call happened, and that was huge for us. And that was, I had just left, Philly, I had just left Vegas. And so I'm driving to work, and somebody calls me, and is like, yo, you heard Ray J and Fab got into a fight. And I was like, no, what happened? So I'm trying to figure out what happened. So I go on the radio and I start talking about it, but I'm like, I don't know what happened, but I'm hearing there was a, a fight between Ray J and Fab. Someone called and gave me the scoop. And then Billy J calls me, he works with Ray J. And he's like, yo, Ray J said you were talking about him on the radio. He wants to call in and say what happened. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, have him call in right now. And it was the end of the show. It was Envy doing his mix and we had to, we were like, well, we'll just put him on live and just tell him don't curse. And as soon as we put him on live, he just started cursing. We were like, hold on, hold on. We're going to have to come back. But when people heard that and they heard him going crazy, that's what made people tune in to wait and hear what was about to happen. And so we recorded the conversation and everybody was like, oh, my God, I just heard Ray J going crazy on the radio. They're going to come back and talk to him. We have to hear this. And so you could see, like, the spike in people listening at that time. And... We had no idea what he was going to say. I guess he had been up all night. He still hadn't slept and was doing a lot. And he just went crazy. And that was just a real big moment for us. That was a big moment for culture. <laughs> like, it was like, you the guys are here. <laughs> Absolutely. So, success, there's no success without risk. Mm -hmm. So, where you got in your life, you took some big risk. Is there, for other people, is there any way to be successful without taking that risk? and talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, I think that there's nothing wrong with also being cautious in your approach to things. I always feel like there's decisions that you make that aren't necessarily bad decisions or wrong decisions. It's just a decision that takes you down a different path. You know, like I could have taken a job in Philly and had my own morning show, and who knows what would have happened after that. I can't say, but it's just a decision. Like, And if you're really great at what you do, you'll create more opportunities, even if something feels like, well, this wasn't, what I intended, because most times things aren't what you thought would happen or what you could foresee. But I feel like if you work really hard, you have great relationships, and you're talented at what you do, then great things will still happen no matter what, even if that path that you took goes this way instead of, you know, this way. The Breakfast Club, you guys drive culture. In your opinion, does society drive culture or does culture drive society? I think that it can be a combination of both, but I do feel like culture drives society more, you know, and it's a lot of it is in response um, to the culture. Like you see what's going on, like with commercials, like we see Wiz Khalifa doing Oreos, is it Oreos oh, commercials yeah. with yeah. his son? And I just think like 10 years ago, they might've had an issue with the fact that he smokes weed and, you know, things like that. But now it's like, good, let's smoke some weed and eat some Oreos. Got the Migos on the yeah, Mountain the Dew Migos commercials. Yeah, the Migos doing Mountain Dew. So I just feel like that's a response to what people love about our culture is that they have to somehow try to tap into that and seem authentic about it, which is not an easy thing to do. Sometimes it doesn't feel authentic, but they're trying to capture that because our culture matters so much. So when you guys started seeing that consistency, like when multiple moments started to happen and they were lasting, when did you realize that, oh, we're driving culture forward? I never thought about it like that, but I tell you, like most recently, 
Do you see how all these presidential nominees want to come to the Breakfast Club? Mm -hmm. And that's because they understand the importance of our culture and what it is that we bring to the table. If we like somebody, if somebody goes viral, those things really do matter. I don't think they used to care so much when it comes to elections, even for local politicians. They like to come on the show. It gives them just a whole new audience and somewhat of a cool factor, which I think they do care about whether or not they'll say it. They do try to do things that make them seem relevant and in the know, because they do want to tap into those millennials. They do want to tap into our communities and people of color to vote for them because it's important. And so I think that's part of uh, when I realized that. And it's also a lot of artists will come and do our morning show, but won't do other press. That's and big. I, and I see that happen a lot. And I see a lot of people like Kevin Hart always puts us on his schedule, even if Hollywood doesn't and his PR doesn't. He's always like they Wayne will call me and be like, hey, Kevin Hart wants to come by the show. And so they understand the importance of it. And I think that's what really matters to us. As a woman in this industry, and some of the things that now we're hearing women had to go through mm -hmm. um, throughout, throughout the duration of time, was there anything you had to go through as a woman? Was it harder? And how do you feel right now about this woman's movement and how things are, your voices are heard a lot more than it was in the past? I think it's always harder for women, and it still is hard. I think. For me, think about the fact that a lot of times people will only see you as a sidekick uh, and they're not going to look at you as a main host. They're not going to look at you as a strong, powerful voice. A lot of times the guys will talk over you. A lot of times the guys will say things that I can't say. If I say it, it's a problem. If they say it, yeah, that's right. I agree with him. He's dope. And so I do feel like a lot of times I get criticized a lot more just because I'm the woman in the room. A lot of times I might feel a way about something and they can't understand where I'm coming from because they don't have the experiences that I've had. And I also feel like, as far as being a woman, yes, we've had to endure a lot of things that, even when I first got started in radio, I remember one of our bosses telling me, listen, if you're gonna be all sensitive about things, this is not the business for you. You have to learn how to understand that people are gonna make inappropriate jokes and say things that you don't like and you just have to roll with it because that's part of the business. And if you get sensitive, you're not gonna get anywhere. And so, a lot of times I feel like we've had to put certain ways that we feel to the side in order for us to be successful and not show emotions. And I feel like that makes us a lot harder when it comes to being in the workplace because you express how you feel. And they're like, oh, she's just being a girl about it. And you never want people to feel like that. Do you personally feel like the workplace has evolved? Yeah, I feel like the workplace definitely has evolved. I feel like we still have a long way to go. Yeah. And even when it comes to equal pay, as we've seen mm. time and time again, you know, men will make more money than a woman uh, and have the same exact job. And men will get certain opportunities that we won't get. Even I look at sports and sports reporters and women who have to do that job. I see all the nasty comments that they get and people act like because you're a woman, you can't know about certain things. I find that to be really difficult and ancient still. You're a strong woman. Um, a leader of industry, and you're an entrepreneur now. You've evolved in so many different ways. Talk to me about some of your business endeavors and how you evolved as a businesswoman, and where did that, uh, where did that want come from to own? You know, that's something that I was not, I didn't grow up with. I didn't grow up knowing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even grow up thinking, one day I'll own a house or I'll have this. That was something that I didn't even believe could happen. And so I will say that 
I think we need to be educated about those things more growing up. I didn't know anything about mortgages. I didn't know anything about investing in the stock market. I didn't know anything about retirement plans. I didn't know about life insurance, none of those things. And it's all things that I've learned. I remember I first got my Roth IRA because I had a guest on at Sirius and he was a financial planner. And he was like, you don't have a Roth IRA? Let me set it up for you. And I was like, I don't have extra money to put in anything. But he set it up where it was like $50 a month, you know, and it was coming out of my check immediately. And I didn't even really notice it being gone. And that's how it first I got started, like being like, oh, okay. And then you see that money start to add up and you start feeling like a little more confident. Okay, what can I do next? And then having always been in debt and having all these credit cards, but finally being able to make more money and clear that debt away. And sometimes people will tell you, oh, just don't get that cup of coffee, don't get this. But sometimes you do just have to make more money, plain and simple, like certain goals that you want to achieve. There's no way you could buy a house in Brooklyn if you don't just make more money on a certain salary. You have to figure out what can I do. And I've always been like the queen of side hustles. So I've always had side hustles and I've always gone really hard because finances have been important to me to make sure I'm good. So that's something I learned later in life. But I always say I blew through a lot of money when I was younger. That if I would have been smarter about it, there's been times I might have had $30,000 cash and I could have bought a house and put a down payment when I was way younger. But I don't know what happened to that money. I don't know what I did. And so it's just things like that that I never considered doing. You know, even my friends, I look at one of my friends got a, a settlement. She got in a, a car accident mm. and she got a bunch of money and she invested it all into like some website that didn't work out. But she could have bought the place where she was living in Brooklyn really cheap mm -hmm. at that time. And I know she's probably like, damn, I should have did that. It's just things that we don't know about that I feel like, you know, I, I'm learning so much about it now and it's still a process. But I've been investing into the stock market and I've made some really good investments there. And every day I'm like reading up on different stocks and it's never a sure thing. But it's, a, it's something that I feel like I don't like having money just sitting in the bank doing nothing. I wanted to do something for me. And so even if you take a gamble and it doesn't work out, I never gamble what I can't afford to lose. And so I bought three houses in Detroit. I just sold one of them. The other two I'm still working on. And one of them I'm definitely gonna just keep and hold on to because I love it. And I'm very into like home design and interior design and making things beautiful. It's really fun to me. And it's also a good investment. And I think people have to look at, if I can't afford to buy something in New York, I should look other places where I can't afford it. What got you into real estate? Um, when I first bought my house, truthfully, the reason I bought it, my brownstone in Brooklyn, my best friend, Santi, we used to be roommates. And she bought a house. And I was like, damn, I got to buy a house too. If Santi did it, I got to figure out how can I make that happen. Because I was with her like looking at houses. And I'd never even did that before. It was my first time like house shopping. And then she bought her house and she was like, yeah, you can do it too. And I was like, wow, you know, my best friend did it. I can do it too. And so I started thinking about it a lot. And then I was like, okay, now I have to figure out how to make it happen. And when I started working at iHeart, I cleared out all my debt first and had like no credit card debt, nothing that I owed. I finished my student loans. I had already done that. And then I was like, okay, now it's time for me to start saving. And not just saving, but I was hosting everything. Like mm. anybody could ask me to host something at that time. And I was there because I had a goal. I was like, okay, by this time next year, I want to make sure I have enough money saved up to buy a house. And the next step was I had a few different realtors and I was looking at houses with them. I didn't even know what I could afford. And 
my first realtor never even said anything like, oh, you should get pre-approved, you should do this. He was just trying to show me different things and try to sell me anything. And then I found a realtor who was great. And she was the first thing she did was said, let's sit down and see what you get pre-approved for. And so I was able to get a house for more than I thought I could afford, which made me get a way better investment than what I initially was going to get. And so that was really helpful to me for her to sit me down. And then she took me to a house that was completely gutted out. And so I got it way cheaper, um, way below market value because the house was, I couldn't even walk inside. It didn't have floors. It didn't have stairs, like nothing yet. But I was like, okay, this is a good area. Everything else in this area is selling for way more than what I'm paying for this house. And the price included them renovating the whole house too. So I also was able, yeah, and it's hard to find something like that. I was able to uh, put in an offer, right, and just put down 10% and then not put down the remainder of the money, another 15% until we closed on the house when it was done. So that gave me from September until April of the next year to save up all that money to close on the house. And I was really adamant about putting down 25% so I didn't have to pay mortgage insurance, which I didn't know about before that either. I didn't know about PMI. So that was another experience because PMI would have been like an extra $1,000 a month for nothing. And so it was just all things that I had to teach myself by researching and also having a great realtor who was like, Angela. That you could trust. Yeah, this is what you need to do. And she was really helpful. She didn't want to just sell me a house. She was like, you got to get the right investment. And also learning that your first house doesn't mean it's your only house. You can look at things like, this is the first house I bought. This isn't my be all end all. I'm going to live here forever. This is my first house. It's a good investment. So to wrap up. Every morning I see you on The Breakfast Club mm -hmm. and you have a juice with you. <laughs> and you're killing this juice industry right now. What do you have going on with that and how has that evolved? Well, first we have the juice bar, right, which is um, Juices for Life. And so Styles P and Jadakiss, they have their locations in Yonkers and in the Bronx. And then I went to Styles P about opening one in Brooklyn. So we have that now in Bed-Stuy, Juices for Life on Malcolm X Boulevard. And that's all because, you know, I'm also always trying to be healthier and I'm concerned about making sure that I have energy throughout the day and also not, you know, getting fat. <laughs> because it's easy, like, to gain so much weight because you end up sitting there and they're sending you all kinds of things at work, like donuts and, you know, just different things, like, every day. They're like, oh, they have food over here for you. They have this, they have that. So I was like, I got to chill because I love to eat. And so I just wanted to make sure I was staying healthy and staying, like, balance throughout the day so I did the juice bar because I want other people to do that too and then people kept saying I wish you could open a juice bar here I wish you could open one here so what I ended up doing was hooking up with one of my friends that I grew up with in Brooklyn mm -hmm. him and my brother were best friends growing up and he had a company with his wife they also own a farm and so now I'm partners in the farm too but deal. he had a company in the Cayman Islands with his wife doing press juices and so I contacted him to restart the company in Brooklyn in New York for us to do a subscription-based press juice business, and also have it in some locations. So we launched that a month ago. And so that is Drink Fresh Juice. So people can go online and you can order it anywhere. And it's only been a month for us so far, but it's been doing really well. Like we, we're at some great locations, at some great businesses. I want people to also use this as a balance. Like if you're gonna have a cocktail, do it with the press juice. Because it's way better for you. I agree with that. Yeah, it's, and it tastes you. better. And it's way better if you can have like a tequila with apple, lemon, ginger or a tequila with the grapefruit ginger. It tastes way better than like artificial grapefruit juice. It's just is healthier for you. It's better for you because I still will have a drink, but I balance it out with having a pressed juice. And 
So that's kind of like the mission to do it more of a lifestyle thing. So it's like you're making these permanent changes in your life that are benefiting you across the board. To close, if you were to go back and tell your 14 year old self absolutely anything, what would it be? I would have said to, <laughs> first of all, I would have said, girl, stop. Um, you're going to come into some money when you uh, graduate from college. Don't blow through it. Make sure you invest your money in some things. And I also would have said to study abroad when I go to college. I should have went to another country or did something like that. I would have loved to do an exchange program because I don't know when I'll be able to live in another country right now. But I think that would have been an awesome cultural experience for me. And, um, yeah, read more. I mean, I read a lot now, but, you know, always, always tell myself to read more. I tell myself that today. Angela, I appreciate you coming by. Thank you. Thank you for your time.